Isaiah chapter number 55 this morning. And we'll read verse number 1 and verse number 2. I will reference briefly chapter number 54, but we'll, we'll probably not read very much there, if at all. But as far as our text, it'll be verse 1 and verse number 2 of Isaiah 55. The Scripture says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Let's pray. God in heaven, we ask you today that you'd be with us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for allowing the songs to be sang this morning Thank you for priming our hearts, Lord, and we ask you now that you'd help your word to be made alive in our hearts. Give us unction, give us utterance to preach the word of God today. Father, we thank you for you, thank you for your word, thank you for your house and your people. We give you the glory and the honor that you so mightily deserve. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. I want to continue our series on Bible invitations this morning with this thought, come and be satisfied. Come and be satisfied. And as we look at verse number one and verse number two, we, we understand that there is a, a large invitation here. And, and I'll get into that in just a moment. But before we can get there, we kind of have to understand why is he giving this invitation. So far, we've preached a couple uh, messages out of the book of Isaiah. And I've told you time and again that as, uh, the people of Israel had went away from God. And they have uh, disobeyed God. They have been in bondage. And God is using the words and the writings of Isaiah to draw them back. Well, as we look at the beginning of chapter 55, we must go back to chapter 54 and we see in verse number 1, he says, Sing, O barren, doesn't that describe a people that are away from God? Doesn't that describe us when we, when we neglect our prayer life, when we neglect our reading? We become barren. We become dry. And he says, sing, O barren. Someone that is barren. I remember, I, he shouldn't have said it, but he, a preacher was talking about his wife and, and he said that she was barren. And, and I couldn't help but to think, uh, there's a lot of things I thought, but I kind of went back to this particular passage and, and man, you, you think back of Sarah or Sarai, you think Think of Rebecca, you think of Rachel, all three of those heroines in the Bible, they were all barren. They could not, they could not produce a child. There was something uh, within them. It, it clearly wasn't at that particular time, it wasn't the men involved, but there was, their womb was closed as the scripture teaches. So you, you think, uh, seeing old barren, what does a barren womb have to sing about? What does a barren land, I'm about to get excited and I'm not 
even on my first point of the introduction yet. But you get to thinking about the barrenness of society, Nick, and the barrenness sometimes of our homes when God is not involved. The barrenness of a church where God is not uh, anywhere in within a thousand yards of it. And you wonder, what can they sing about? But he says, sing, O barren. Here it is. Thou that didst not bear. He says, you're barren. You have not borne anything, but break forth into singing. Cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. So God here, he is saying, I understand that you don't feel like singing, but sing anyhow. There's nothing in your back pocket that you can grab out and testify about the goodness of God because you feel like you're all alone. You feel like you've not borne anything. You feel like there's nothing to rejoice about, but still go ahead and sing. In verse number 3, in verse number 4, he says, Thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. He said, Thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles. You make desolate the cities that be inhabited. He says, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any longer. He is essentially saying, I want you to understand how that you being barren is not lost on me. And know this, Brother Jody, this is not Isaiah. This is God speaking. And God is saying, listen, Israel, listen, my people, I want you to know that I understand where you are, but I want to challenge you to go ahead and sing. Go ahead and rejoice. Go ahead and be glad because you have nothing to fear. But listen, it's not over. He's saying you do this because I am with you. So this chapter is a chapter of comfort. It's a chapter of faith. He says in verse number 4, down through verse number 10, I'll not read it, but he tells them they don't have to fear. But it's also a chapter of protection. How you look in uh, verse number 11, down through the end of of verse number 17, and even that verse has been quoted time and again. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue shall uh, that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. And so there is a chapter here right before our text, And it is a chapter of protection. And God is acknowledging their plight, but yet God is encouraging them to sing unto Him. And I'll tell you this, regardless of your circumstance, or regardless of your trouble, regardless of the weight of your burden, God, about, I'm gonna need about three people to help me right here. God has not changed. Can somebody say amen? And the fact that God has not changed, it lets us know that even when we are in the valley, when we are trudging across the river, when we are barren, he's still worthy. And so he's saying, listen, y'all, I know you've gone away from me. And I know you're trying to come back. I know you're burdened and I know you're barren, but just sing because I've not changed. And we live in a time of quickly and rapidly changing. And it seems like these changes are getting us further and further away from God. Or rather making us leave and have only a form of godliness. But can I tell you today uh, that God has not changed. And God is not mocked. And God is not going to leave us. God is not going to forsake us. And He is worthy of our praise. So now we get to this particular passage. He's just reminded them that they're bearing. 
And But now he says, I want you to come if you're thirsty. He says, I want you to come and satisfy your thirst. I want you to come and satisfy your hunger. And I want you to come and satisfy your soul. So those are our three points this morning. Number one, look with me. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Uh, number one, come and satisfy your thirst. Now, I could say of absolute assurance that thirst is something that is common to every living thing. Every living thing, at some point or another, they become thirsty. I'm thirsty right now. I want to take a break to drink some water, but I don't have time. Thirst is something that is natural. We all understand this craving and we become thirsty in dry times. I told my wife last night and I told Brother Ryan Goins a few weeks ago uh, that uh, after Camp Canaan, man, I thought for sure that I'd come back and I'd be just filled to the brim. I feel like I should have joy, overwhelming and, and all of these things. But I told Brother Ryan, I told my wife yesterday, that it seems like as much as I want to have these things happen. It's as if I'm dry on the inside. Y'all may not understand that. That's okay. But you get your Bible and you begin to read and you know what it says. You know there's a message there, but it's not here. You get in your closet and you pray and you begin to seek God. You begin to weep and beg God to give you something. But it seems as though on the inside you're dry and the water is just running off the top. So I understand this idea of thirst. But I want us to look what it says. The first word, H-O. Ho. Oh, goodness. We get so excited about a whosoever salvation. We read it yesterday. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And here in a two-letter word is the word ho. That essentially, Brother Kurt, the messenger in this case, Isaiah, is pronouncing the words of God. And he's crying with cupped mouth. And he says, ho! If you can hear me, listen. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you can hear me, I want you to understand how that this invitation is for you. He says, I want you to come. This word, ho, it is to call attention to the subject What is the subject? The subject is God and this thirst and this water. He says, I'm calling your attention now. He says, uh, the the, the writer says that it is to call attention to the subject regardless of the hearer. Well, Jim, it doesn't matter. Back pew or front pew, right or left, it doesn't matter. White or black, it doesn't matter. Rich or poor, it matters not. But I'm glad that when God called me one day to accept that living water, whoa, hallelujah, I'm glad that it was a whosoever will. Thirst speaks of deep inner cravings. Thirst is defined as the brain's way of warning that you are dehydrated. I've heard this uh, for years. And they said, if you're thirsty, you're dehydrated. And I'm thinking, man, I just drunk two gallons of water and I'm still thirsty. I don't understand that. 
But that thirst, when your, when your tongue cleaves to the sides of your mouth or the top of your mouth, it is a, your body's indication that you still do not have enough hydration in your body. He says, I want, if you are thirsty, I want you to come. It is also defined as an intense craving or a desire. When I wake up in the morning, I put my feet on the floor. One of the first cravings that I have, Brother Samuel, is to give me a cup of coffee. So I'm taking a shower, I'm getting ready, and in my whole whole line of thinking is thinking about that first cup of coffee because I have a craving for it. I have a thirst for it. There are different, we can, we could go through the house and we could talk about cravings. We could talk about things that, that we desire and those could be considered a thirst. He says, uh, uh, ho, everyone that thirsteth. Now, the problem with this is, if you recognize that you are thirsty, the issue at hand is that we try to satisfy that thirst in many ways other than with God. There's folks that make attempts, and they're vain attempts. It may be possessions. It may be positions. It may be uh, 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 prestige. It may be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be something. It could be something that brings joy just for a season. But here, God is not saying that I want you to... Fill that thirst with things. God is not saying that I want you to fill this thirst with anything that you can attain. Notice what he says here. Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. The Lord invites us, God invites us to get a drink from the living water or the living fountain. In John chapter number 4, verse number 14, Jesus is talking to this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman. She's come to a physical well. She's come with a physical water pot. She's come with a physical need. She's thirsty. But when we read the end of the story, she's dropped her water pot, her physical water pot, and she's gone in and she's telling them about a quenched thirst. And nobody else can understand. Jesus says in verse number 14 of John chapter 4, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I preached a message years ago. I have no idea if I've ever preached it here, but it was entitled The Seasons of the Soul. And just as, just as our, our world has seasons, we're in summer right now, we're fixing to go into fall, everything is, has either bloomed or it may be still blooming, but the heat is working on nature and soon the weather will turn and there's an unseen clock and things will begin to fall off the trees, uh, things will become dormant and they, it, it will, it will, it will get, yes, it's pretty when those leaves begin to turn all those different colors and people go up to the mountains, Brother David, and they spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to see death. Don't understand it. But they do that, but then guess what? After all those leaves fall off, 
one of the most dreary times in life is the winter. I don't like the cold. Everything looks dead. But guess what? In that thing that looks the deadest, in just a matter of months, will spring to life again. And those blooms will, Miss Irene, begin to come out on those seemingly dead limbs. And and life begins to blossom and bloom from everywhere. And then, Brother Eric, we come back to summer and that heat begins to bear down and we cycle after cycle after cycle. The same is so in our souls. There are times that God has us in a season of winter when everything around us seems dead, but, oh, He's promised to never leave us. He's promised to give us a well of water springing up in everlasting life. But at the right season, Nick, that death begins to shed its shroud. New life begins to pop up. And God will begin to show you to other people. God will begin to show other people to you. You'll be able to see Him working. You'll be able to feel His power. Summer comes. Maybe you trudge through battles. You're bearing those things. And all of a sudden, it begins to get a little bit more palatable. You begin, the weather begins to get a little bit more bearable in life. Then all of a sudden, you begin to feel things falling away again. See, that's, that's God's design in, in life. I believe that's God's design in our souls as well. And as we think about this, we think about this well of water springing up into everlasting life. We may think, I just said it just a few moments ago, that I feel like I've been dry on the inside. But Allie, right in the middle of my soul, there is a well of water just waiting to burst forth. God may have me in a dry spell for a time, for a season. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how long the season will last. But I do know this. Though I'm thirsty, though I feel dry, He's promised. He's promised to quench that thirst. So those times that I'm in my study and I'm crying and I'm weeping and I'm praying and I'm reading, it may seem like everything's just rolling off the surface like water off a duck's back. It may seem like nothing's truly sinking in. It may feel like the top of my soul, soil if you will, is cracked and bare and there's no life above. But I promise you, God is still at work in the midst of. We cannot overlook in this particular passage, we cannot overlook one word. Ho, every one that thirsteth. Can somebody shout out what the next word is? Come. We cannot overlook this word come. C-O-M-E. Brother David, I don't know that you'd normally sing it, but I know you have sang, He came to me. Love it. When I could not go to where He was, He came to me. We know, Bubba, we know that God came to us in the form of His Son. We, we know that. But the Scripture here says, You come 
to me. I feel like there's a lot of folks that are sitting there and they're waiting and they're 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 giving me they're they're, they're saying give me give me give me but they're not willing to take one step in God's direction to get what they truly need. This word come it may mean that there is one step in God's direction. It may be one bowed head or one bent knee is all you need to do to come to him. This word come and to come to him, it could be a journey, a journey of seemingly immeasurable distance. It may feel like you're so far away from God that you can never truly, that it would take a lifetime to get back to where you were. But if I could say it and simplify it like this, just one step in His direction could be all it's going to take. There may be a chasm between you and God, but if you would but go, if you, if I could say it like, if you would but come to God, I promise you, He can meet your need. You must come. One writer said that water is, in Isaiah, the common metaphor for divine grace. What is grace? It is, it, let me, let me make sure, it, grace is getting what you do not deserve. And we do not, Abby, we do not deserve grace. We do not deserve this everlasting water. But, God said, ho, everyone that thirsteth, Come to the water. We may not deserve it, but the invitation is still there. Number two, quickly, if y'all would, if y'all would help me, one of two things is going to happen. We're going to finish it tonight or we'll be here until two. So y'all just keep going like you're going. Come and satisfy your hunger. We need to notice here the the condition, and I struggle with this word condition. I'm not sure if I've got the right word. I was going to say the preface of this invitation. Maybe that's a better word. I don't know. But we need to to notice the condition of the invitation. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Listen, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Um, Excuse me. He just said... You that hath no money, come and buy and eat. But Kurt, that don't make no sense. I have been at the grocery store with a pile of groceries and pull in my pocket and there ain't no wallet there. And look in my hip pocket and there ain't no checkbook there. I don't like, you know, now you can, Brother Stanley, you can, you can tap your watch on the thing, you Apple Pay and all that. I tried it. I've beaten myself to death. Will it work? Well, because I had money, but I didn't have it with me. You know what they won't let you do? They will not let you walk out that store unless you got money. They won't do it. Now I know there's credit, there's things like that. But Nathan, he says, if you don't have any money, come anyway. Buy. And eat. That's what your Bible says. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Now listen to this. This defies all common sense. How, how in the world, if they have nothing, can they buy? Albert Barnes says this. 
No man can excuse himself for not being a Christian because he is poor. No man who is rich can ever boast that he has bought salvation or that he has obtained it on a more easy term because he had property. The same could be said about those that are poor. Same can be said. Just as the rich might say, well, I got salvation because of this. Many times the poor, they are the most prideful. A lot of times those poor people are prideful. And that pride can well up. But I, but I believe right here we could simply say that no amount of money or no lack of money can provide salvation, can provide what we truly need. And here we find that he says, I want you to buy and eat, but listen to the rest. If, if the first part, he that hath no money is the preface, then I guess the rest of this question or statement would be the prologue. And it is this. Yay, come. You don't believe what I'm saying? You, you that have no money, you don't believe that you can buy and you can eat? He says, yes, I'm telling you the truth. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. What God wants to give you today is something that cannot be bought or sold it cannot, the price cannot be placed upon it. Many of you probably have things in your possession that are priceless in your own eyes. They are treasures. They are something that you've worked for. Some, something that you have, uh, uh, that you have bought and you would not take a dime or a thousand dimes for it. You just, it, it's not gonna sell. You think a moment about the price that was paid for this water and this meal that we're speaking of, God paid the penalty. God paid the ransom. God paid the price with the blood of His only begotten Son. And so no amount that we have in our checkbooks or no amount of limit on our credit cards, no amount of goodness within ourselves could ever repay What God has already, listen to me, freely provided. He says, you don't have money? Come. Come on. Buy. And eat. Buy without money and buy without thinking of a price. Anybody ever been asked, hey, will you come? We're going out to eat and this is a fancy place to eat. Now, I'm going to tell them myself. Fancy place to eat, Miss Irene. You ever been to a fancy place? Where was that we were talking about the other day? Uh, uh, Blackbeards, okay? It may not be fancy, but it's still, it's a spin. You ever been invited somewhere like that and it says, hey, just come on, I'm buying. You get there and you start looking at the menu and you see, first thing you look at is chicken strips. Ten ninety nine. I really don't want no chicken. You start looking at that steak and it's like $27.99. I'm like, well, I know I can eat chicken. But you wait until the man that said he was going to pay. You wait to see what he orders. And then he orders a Delmonico 
whatever they are. Ribeye, something like that. Brother Jim, some, one of them Tommy Hawk steaks, what's well, got the bone and you can hatchet it to death. It's $50 and you're like, well, look here, I ain't going to get me no $50 steak, but that twenty seven ninety nine, that ain't too bad. That's better than chicken strips. God says, I want you to come. I know you don't have any money. I know you don't have any way to pay for it. He says, but I want you to get whatever you want and I don't want you to even look at a price. You couldn't afford it if you saw the price. He says, I just want you to fill yourself up. Just keep it. When you think you got everything you need, go ahead and put some more in there. And when you put all that you can put in there, he said, put a little bit more in there. I'm about to run this morning because he says, I know you don't have anything. I know there's nothing to your name, but I'm inviting you to come and satisfy your hunger. There's hunger. Hunger alerts us to the need for nourishment. Now, if you've ever been fat, uh, hunger will play tricks on you. Because the other night, I ate, and I ate well. But when I got to bed, my hunger pains said, you're hungry. And because I'm fat, I almost got up and went and got me something else to eat. So sometimes those hunger pains will lie to you. And what they're doing is they're not, they're, it's not necessarily a hunger pain. It, it, it's a pain that your mind is saying, but you didn't have quite enough. Or you didn't have what I really wanted. Sis, your mama, she's the goofiest ball in the bunch. She'll eat something and then she'll want, she'll want dessert. And she'll get, I, I'm just, she may eat a little bit of ice cream and she'll go look at her. You got any potato chips? You want potato chips with your ice cream? No, I just had something sweet. I need something salty now. So she'll eat something salty and then she'll say, I need something sweet now. I'm like, you're, a, you're special. That's the way our minds work. Lori, this has gotten to the point where when she fixes something, she'll have a dessert. And those few times that she doesn't fix a dessert, I'm looking around finna lick a wall. Because I want something else. Like, yes, this was good, but where's the dessert? Our bodies, physically, our bodies and our minds may play tricks on us. There are three types of hunger. There's a stomach hunger, and that's that physical necessity to eat. There's a mouth hunger. Now, I'm going to be gross here for just a moment. But if you if you've ever dealt with any type of false teeth, you got to get used to it. I don't have any in, but I have had. But Dave, I'm like no, because I can't taste my food with these things on. I, Bubba, I had no idea teeth have taste buds. And our mouth, we have a mouth hunger that we crave something sour, something sweet, something savory. So that mouth hunger, it is a craving related to our senses. But then there's also a heart hunger. This is that emotional trigger or a learned behavior. And God is saying, whatever is necessary to satisfy your soul, you can find it, or satisfy your hunger, you can find it in me. Absolutely free of charge. 
John 6, 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. He continues in verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He continues in verse 48, I am that bread of life. I want us to know today how that satisfaction is promised for us spiritually. Matthew chapter 5 verse number 6. We preached about this some time ago. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. The thing that we need to fill ourselves with. Is not society. It's not all the things that that affords. But it's Christ. We read it the other night. Was it Brother Jody? Was it in Ephesians I believe? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Satisfaction is promised to the spiritually hungry. Our efforts to satisfy our hunger, it's going to fail every time if we try something other than Christ. And last, come and satisfy your soul. Verse number 2. He continues his thought in verse number one. He says, wherefore do you spend money for things that do not, that are not bread? And he says, you're laboring for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. In your Bible, not all the time, but in this passage, the word fatness is, is not obesity in any phrase, uh, but it is the finest or the richest, richest of food. It is the most nourishing of foods. In other words, Kurt, this is the best of the best. I've often, I've often not doubted scripture or anything, but, but no man can live on bread alone. But Jesus is the bread of life. But you can live on the Word of God. You can trust in the Word of God. You can thrive in the Word of God. With Him, you can satisfy your soul. But sadly, we too often try to satisfy it with something else. Or we just get a a little dab here and then a little dab there. We need to fill ourselves. He says, let your soul delight in fatness. This word of God, it is the best of the best. People try to satisfy their soul by filling this void in their heart. They spend their substance, they spend their lives trying to, to, to find the chaff. Instead of the wheat. That's what he says here in verse number two. He said, he says you can have the wheat, but you're spending your money on the chaff. You can have the real thing, but you're spending all of your life trying to get something that's fake. And the same thing applies today. Too often, even in churches like ours, we focus on the wrong things instead of focusing On the Word of God. On filling the hunger of the saints of God. He says, eat that which is good. Satisfaction of the soul 
It comes through faith in Christ. All other routes of satisfaction are false. This this morning during Sunday school, man, I, I was hungry. Some of y'all may be hungry right now. Well, I'm just going to give you a little cheat code. There's a there's a quarter of a pan of cinnamon rolls back there. They brought them in from the girls' Sunday school room, and I said, "That is that's going to be it. That's the ticket right there." But you know what? I only ate a little piece of it. But it just satisfied me for a little bit. Because I know something's better at the house. We may get a piece of candy. We may go to the store and get us a candy bar or a Slim Jim. Somebody come on and say, Amen. But it's only going to last us until supper. Or until lunch. Or until breakfast. The real meat. Can I tell you today, the real meat is this, the Word of God. It is in Christ Jesus. We're all, ho, every one that thirsteth. Y'all can come with a song of invitation. We're all invited to a feast, if you will. He said, you're thirsty, come to the water. You're hungry, come and eat. He said, you have no money, come and buy and eat. Feel yourselves. You could satisfy your thirst, your hunger, your soul. There's a song. I don't know what they're singing, but Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. There's nothing in you today or in me that deserves this offer, this invitation from God to come and satisfy our souls. But because of God's goodness and because of His grace and mercy, He offers it to every single one of us. If you're hungry this morning, Matthew chapter 5 says, if you'll hunger after God, you'll be filled. If you're thirsty this morning... Again, if you're thirsty for God, you can come and quench that thirst. Our text in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, he says, come. Come and drink. Come and eat. Come and satisfy your soul. Let's stand today.